Hey, remember Afghan children? I remember all the rocks that they threw out. Yes, we were just talking about that before we called you. That's exactly it. They come at you with those cute um, puss in boots, eyes, <laughs> asking for pens and stuff. Yeah. And throw rocks at you. <laughs> <laughs> always wanting pens, but always delivering rocks. <laughs> yeah. But I, th- I thought they were so cute. Yeah, the kids are very cute. And uh, be- being a father... Um, and in Afghanistan, the kids were my weakness, and uh, often I would I would give them the water or whatever it is on me, and to see a kid in and among that chaos, and evil, or whatever the heck was going on there, it was quite a contrast, if you will. Those kids are quite resilient, man. Hi, I'm Maciej. And I'm Matt. And this is episode seven of Veteranex. On today's show, we have Chris Dupi. Uh, he was a lav gunner with 3RCR on Task Force 308 in Afghanistan. Also the founder of Military Minds and Cadence Health and Wellness in Newmarket, Ontario. Chris, welcome to the podcast. So how long have you been out now? 2015, I got out. Um, feels like forever. A few years now. And how how did it feel knowing you were leaving the military for civvy side? Uh, it was a difficult concept to digest. It wasn't something you know. I joined the military to stay in the military. Um, yeah, I actually signed my twenty five years. So at the time, I think it was like a eighteen year contract or something like that, and I signed it. I was ready to go to get my release and go through that whole process was uh was something else not knowing what i'm going to do for work for money etc etc and you know the truth truth be told uh there was a lot of undue stress in that time because i didn't realize how well i was going to be looked after if you will i get that there's you know politics within the system in itself but i was well looked after there was nothing to really stress about and uh I'm fully embracing the outside world. Yeah, that's something you don't hear a lot, you know, uh, in the in the narrative in the news is really how well, like financially, and when it comes to like school and whatever, how well we are taken care of. You know, guys that get out with uh, with with mental health injuries. Once you navigate the system, and and especially if you've got a good caseworker, like we we got it pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, we absolutely do have got it good. Um, at my clinic, we, we have uh, peer meetings, and it's a mixed bunch with uh, first responders, military, etc. cetera. And, uh, well, sometimes we'll compare benefits, right? And the conversation comes up. And it's pretty sobering for a lot of vets. Yeah. You know, um, how good we actually really do have it. And, uh, however, I, I, could see, I could see how frustrating it is if you don't know your way through the system. It could be pretty bad. So in that case, you know, if you're getting swallowed up by all the red tape and whatnot, please buddy up with someone that knows what they're doing or go to, go to a, there's all, there's lots of organizations that can help. Yeah, help for sure. It, but point is there is lots of benefit. Think about your first year 
on Civvy Street. What'd you do for work? No, I didn't. I didn't do anything for work. Uh, I was. I, I got to volunteer with uh, with MFT. Um, I was also volunteering with a charity that I founded called Military Minds. So I was still pretty mission focused in that um, I was trying to help the troops, yeah. plug them into any and every resource that I had at my disposal. That's what I always kind of do, no matter no matter what. But uh, that was that's what I was doing for the first year, anyway. What did you do with uh, Military Minds? Well, Military Minds, man, that was something that um, kind of accidentally found it. Um, and what I mean by that is I got posted with the Queen's Own Rifles um, for the last two or three years of my uh, military career. Um, and that's with the reserve unit in Toronto. So the, the pace is completely different than what I was used to in battalion. And I found myself with a lot of extra time. During my time there, though, I've also noticed a lot of troops asking for work um, in what's called Class A days. So if you're a reservist, you can sign up for, you know, a full day's work um, if you're picked for it, and then you can get it. Um, but what I was doing was making a lot of make-work projects uh, just so I could get guys employed. Um, but obviously, there's only so much money. Um, so... Anyways, I started up a mobile power washing company because it was something that I was familiar with. Uh, I called it Military Mines um, because the workforce was going to be all military. And I was going to use the guys uh, that were always asking for Class A days. I had the workforce. Did uh, We ended up doing like a charity car wash during our time. And uh, for that car wash, obviously I was trying to trying to create some kind of hype for it, mm -hmm. stuff like that. And my wife's friend, Paulo, caught wind of it through her and offered to do some videography. Mm -hmm. And uh, He's a freelance videographer, um, so he's just kind of looking for anything to do. Um, I uh, We shot the video. Um, I had a real, real hard time doing it, to be honest with you. It was just really weird talking to a camera and stuff. Uh, but... Uh, on the way home, I was driving him home, and I was opening up to him about my own struggles, my own PTSD, which I was freshly diagnosed. And he asked if he could uh, start filming it. Um, and I said, okay. A week later, he comes at me with a video, which I'm thinking is going to be a promotional video for the car wash or whatever. And uh, it wasn't. It was just all PTSD. It was all that conversation. Um, you know, and after, after a few days of reflection, everything else, it was, it was time to release it, sent it out there. Wow. And, uh, that was, it was a gut check. Not so much that I really cared about what everybody would think, but I cared about what the guys in the third battalion thought. Yeah. CR, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where I came from. So, uh, really stumbled out of my comfort zone there, and um, you know, I had a lot of people back me up. Thankfully, because it felt like I was naked in a party full of well-dressed people. Yeah, um, you know, and uh, just so they came exposed, and they got my eh? back. Yeah, totally. That's that's the only way I can really describe it. 
I think even if somebody had come at me at that time, it probably would have devastated me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Bleeding all over the place, not even shot type deal. Yeah. So let's talk about your deployment. Uh, what years and rotos were you on? Um, I went to Afghanistan in 2008 uh, on Task Force 308. So um, that, that also brought me into 2009 as well. Yeah, what time did you, what, uh, what date did you get back? Uh, I don't remember the date. I think it was like in April, early May. Yeah. Uh, Michael Jackson died not long after he got back. Okay. It's kind of what I'm remembering. I'm hoping, I'm hoping those dates line up. Somebody could be looking it up right now and I could be right out of her, <laughs> but that's how I remember it. <laughs> and what were you doing overseas? I was um, was a lav gunner. Mm -hmm. um, so when we were mounted, that's that's what I was doing. Um, but you know, we're uh, we're a light infantry battalion too. So we did we did a lot of walking around them. Sure. Yeah, us too. And you know you know what you know what's funny actually. Let me real quick story. Please. First time walking around. You know we. Before you go overseas, how many YouTube videos did you watch of like you know awesome propaganda stuff, right? All of them. With the music, let the bodies hit the floor, right? All that stuff. And I remember being out on our first patrol or in and around there, thinking, "There's the music. This shit ain't cool at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not nearly as cool as what it was on YouTube. What the hell?" We had uh, one patrol where we went, uh, we, we were in Zangabad and we crossed the Argandab when it was kind of a trickle and not like a rushing river. And we had psyops right. with us and they did blast music for a little bit, but it was not well, good did. music. It was like pop music. I was like, what is this? Oh, they got, they got like Justin Bieber on and whatnot. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> it was like Britney Spears or something like really awful. Yeah. 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 So it wasn't, it wasn't your uh, Iron Maiden, your typical, uh, <laughs> nothing like that. It wasn't yeah, like actually, Bullet with a name on it or anything like that. Yeah. Do you remember pumping Britney Spears and Zangabad specifically for whatever reason? Britney was happening back then. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Chris, when you first got out, how was you said there was some undue stress, but you had a lot of support. How was uh, how were things with your family and your relationships at that time? At that time, I was separated from my wife. Um, I spent a few years on my own in a pretty dark spot. Uh, so yeah, during during the time that I was uh, releasing, I was still living in I was living in my truck. At um, I was right out of her, man. So I was that guy that would not ask for help. You know, um, literally to the point I was staying in my truck. Right, man. Did you get into any, uh, drug abuse or, or, uh, alcohol abuse during that time? Yeah. So I got prescribed, um, sleeping pills. They're, uh, stopping clone. And what I found with those was that I was able to control my emotions. And by controlling my emotions, I mean I would just go to sleep. Yeah. Um, and I would sleep, sleep it off type deal. Um, however, that concept 
was starting to be abused, um, where I would wake up for a minute and I would take a kind of a handful of pills to put me back down. And I, w- I would sleep for, you know, days, days on end, no memory. Uh, I'd end up in the hospital time after time after time, you know, all that good stuff, man. I was, I was a hot mess. And, uh, yeah, that, that was my way out of the military. I know the Zopiclone route really well. Uh, when I first uh, was diagnosed with PTSD and had sleeping trouble, I was also prescribed Zopiclone. Uh, I don't know if you were too much, eh? Yeah, for a little bit. Uh, I remember Zopiclone being like something that, it was almost like a challenge. I would take it and just try and stay awake, and if you could make it past the breaking point, you were all kinds of fucked up. And that's what would happen to me a lot, Matt, is because I my body didn't need sleep anymore. Yeah. You know, I was, I was awake during the Zopiclone, a lot of it too. And as you said, like, that's messy, man. Um, and you don't, you don't have memory of it. I don't know if there's something to be said about humans tapping into their animal instincts, if you will. Um, there's not many scenarios in life where we're really able to tap into that you know you know what i'm talking about when we're overseas absolutely and whatever happens your heart rate goes to 220 or whatever that heart rate is you know you you're you're into fight or flight mode you've you've been put into a pure instinct being instinctful being um just like a dog when it gets attacked and it bites it's hard to take that bite out of that dog now right like yeah. uh it, it tapped into something um, and I, I believe, honestly, like there's something to be said about that. We, we, we tapped into something there and we know what it feels like. We were and, animals. Uh, and we're like, yeah, uh, we got, we got, we got to touch that part of us anyways. Some people get to touch it here. You know, if you're, if you're in a fist fight or anything like that, you know, uh, and, and, and your vision goes down, you know, that tunnel vision or whatever, that's what's happening. You're going into animal instinct mode. Right, you're going into survival mode. Uh, so, but for us, like, we got to do that so repetitively, it really wasn't that, not really anything anymore. Right? I don't know. A lot of guys talk about this, like living in like, uh, living in a pressure cooker. Like when I first went in to talk about my PTSD with uh, with my therapist, he asked me, and I mean, like, we got, we got to it eventually with with another therapist. But the first guy didn't really press me. Right? He was like, yeah let's talk about some of the incidents that caused this. And I was like, I can't, I don't even know where to start with you. Like I lived in a pressure cooker for eight months, you know, like everything was like, I was always on yeah. always. Ready. Yeah. Can you pinpoint that one thing that they're always looking for? Yeah. Cause I can't No. What is it? I don't know. I just picked one and worked on that. And you know, like when I was doing the, the exposure therapy, it helped to have like, yes, a scenario to work at, you know, and I just like would apply the lessons that I learned from that one scenario and kind of deconstructing it and going through it to kind of the rest of it. Nice. But you're right though. Like it is very difficult to like pinpoint. This is the moment when, you know, I got PTSD. You guys are blowing my mind right now because I never thought about it that way, but you guys are so fucking right. It's like in the movies, it's almost like I got bought into the Hollywood idea that, oh, it's this one trauma or this one act or situation or event. But 
I mean, you go overseas and then you come back and you think that a fight is around every corner. Like I was, for, for years after I got out and I came back, I thought, oh, this fucker here, he's going to start a fight with me. That, yeah. that fucker over there, he's looking at my girlfriend. You know, like every fucking situation was going to be a life or death fight. Because and that's it, what you got used to. And it to. felt normal. And it felt fucking normal. And I never really understood. I thought, oh, it must be one trauma. But if if you do repetitively for weeks or months this idea of, you know, tunnel vision and a fight and being ready, how can you easily turn that off? And everything in your life turns into that life or death scenario. Yeah. Right? Everything is that extreme, like you said. Um, and... Uh, you know, I can't I can't have my wife and kids drive off for me without me thinking, what if they get in a crash and they'll die? You know what I mean? Like, why? How come how come I rolled out the tape like that? Why? Why so drastic? Yeah. You know, I look, I, I often tell people this analogy when you're in the country, you're only, you're you're only a couple of days in. We got let's bring ourselves back there. You're only a couple of days in now. Your first time ever. You know what I mean? You've been training to do this. Um now you're finally there. You get out to your fob or wherever the hell it is you're going, and then it's go time. You're going out on your first patrol, okay? Uh, that, that shit's scary, okay? And, and I remember being scared. You do it anyways. You obviously, you know, that's, that's part of the job. Just because you're scared doesn't mean that you don't do it. Um, but we all did it. We do it. Uh, we don't talk about we're scared. We just go out and we do it. Now, your last patrol, compare that to your first patrol and what you're going through emotionally. And it's changed. Uh, now you're a bit more complacent. You just want to get it over with. You're fucking whatever. It ain't nothing. So something happened in between there. Between the first and the last patrol, something was born within us. that helped us survive. It helped us look in, in death's eye and laugh. It helped us laugh at the most heinous stuff that any human could be exposed to. And it helped us there. But we're living with it still today. It's true. We're home and that thing is still in us and a lot a lot of a lot of us are having a hard time processing yeah now with that with that east side of us if you will i remember writing in my journal after my very first patrol and i've got the entry and i wish i had it with me but i can remember talking about how i could feel every rock underneath my boot how colors were brighter how yeah. I heard every single sound, you know. Oh, isn't that amazing? It was like you're so alive and yeah. terrified, but yeah. exhilarated at the exact where, same time. Like it's where, where can you recreate that? You can't. Where? And you yeah, remember, exactly. And you remember the first time you got shot at? You know, and, and you know. Here's the thing, right? You say like trying to recreate that. I think a lot of guys kill themselves trying to recreate it. You get into hard drugs, you get into extreme sports, you put yourself in dangerous situations trying to get that high again. And we just... Everything is to the extreme like always, right? Exactly. You got it. When did you first realized that you had PTSD? First, a doctor realized it when I went in for my annual. I mean, he didn't realize I had PTSD. He just, and it was just an MD. It wasn't a psych or anything. He suggested that maybe uh, you should go check in there or whatever. 
Um, it was during my time with the Queen's Own Rifles, um, and, and, and that that transition just absolutely killed me. Um, what uh, what did you say to that doctor? Did you did you believe him? Did you tell him no? Nah, that's that's not going on. Oh, typical, of course. It was a dismiss. Yeah. Um, it was a dismiss, but things things started things started going down for me at the unit. Uh, I started really not getting along with the staff there anymore, um, uh, and things started to go down south really. So that's when I finally put my hand up and uh, said, "Okay, well, maybe there's an answer for this, man. I I don't know. I have no idea." I put my hand up, um, and they uh, diagnosed me with PTSD, posted APSU. How'd you deal with it then? I didn't deal with it well. Uh, and, you know, even even looking back now, reflecting, I guess after that, at some point in my in my separation from my family. Uh, so, you know, when one domino goes, sometimes many can follow. And uh, in my case, everything did follow. Chris, what I'm what I'm really curious about is why? Why did you start those organizations? I mean, obviously, somebody's gonna be like, well, I want to help people. But you know, the follow-through is lacking. People don't actually do those things. Why did you actually follow through? How did you actually follow through? This cadence, what I'm doing right now, is the only real deliberate thing that I've tried to do. Um, and I'm still following through with. The follow-through and the longevity of it is is the hard part. The starting it is, is, is easy. You come up with an idea, you do whatever. Right. But continuing on, well, still, while I'm beating myself up in my own brain, yeah. while the voices yeah. of doubt, you know, are, are very, very loud, you know, um, still, still trying to maintain um, the push. It's freaking hard, though, uh, to, to, to reach. You got to reach so hard, so deep in for that motivation because I'm also also bringing on a lot of other people's issues as well. Right? If I can motivate troops to get into a therapy chair, then I'm all about it, man. And that's that's what I'm doing now. You know, I stepped even away from the cannabis just to stay focused exactly on what I need. To, right? And that, uh, when I say stepped away from the cannabis, I mean I stepped away from the whole industry. Do you still use medical marijuana for for yourself? And you don't have to answer that question. Yeah, I do. Yeah, and you find yeah. that it helps. Yeah, so it's a uh, it's a great tool for me um, personally. Uh, you know, there's two ways that I can use it: you know, reactionary or proactive. I I, I like to be more proactive uh, medicator, and uh, so I I have my oils and stuff like that, so it lasts me through the day. Could we go back a bit? Because I don't know Chris very well, and I'm just wondering, Chris, before deployment, maybe even before the Army, like, how is that Chris, or how was that Chris compared to now? Obviously, you're older. I ask myself that a lot, and I can't really find the answer. Right. Um, I, I do, to the point where I, I ask people, like, well, what was I like before? Yeah. Um, so I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't even answer that, man. I, I don't know. It's such a long time ago. Yeah, I wasn't as extreme. I know that. I know yeah. I didn't think about death all the time or yeah. um, anything like that. 
Yeah, and, so, and it's hard it's hard to untangle that too. I mean, I I can remember I was way more laid back. Remember how laid back we were? We were so laid back. But I mean, we're also yeah. fucking old now too. So who knows? <laughs> who knows yeah. what what's what? Who knows what changed what? Yeah, mm-hmm. I I don't know. I care a lot less um, about the small things, yeah. but. The small things is when it, uh, they like they like to creep up though at nighttime, right? So, yeah. Do they ever? Yeah. Night nighttime is when everything goes quiet. So during the day we can distract ourselves with this, with that. Even if we're not busy, we distract ourselves with TV, with our phone, with what have you. But at nighttime you got nothing. You're you're it's just you, you and the beast. You know, will it leave you alone or not? That's that's it. So. uh a lot of vets or a lot of people with PTSD, period, don't have a great time sleeping. No. Uh, not even just PTSD, anxiety, depression, everything. Anything that puts that nasty little voice in your head. What about your energy? Do you notice any changes? Are you more tired or more hyper? Anything consistent? Yeah. So the energy is junk. Tired. Um, and the reason that I'm really able to gauge where my energy levels are is because I've got kids and they're always wanting to go out or do something or, you know, um, some of them, they're, they're teen. I got four kids two of them are teenagers. So they're, they're always wanting to go out and this and that. And always just no, no, no for me. Right. I'm just, I'm just here. You know, Uh, I don't want to do anything. Chris earlier, you said that at the beginning of, well, when when you left the army and you uh, started noticing you're diagnosed with PTSD, you, you were separated. Uh, your personal life was messy. Can you kind of take us through uh, piecing that back together and and where you are now? Yeah, I was I was separated um, when I got out of the military. That's correct, and uh, and homeless too, but. When I when I first joined with uh, with MFT, I asked if uh, I said I'll volunteer, I'll do whatever, but get me a house. I need to start living somewhere. Right. And uh, he said yes, done. Find find me somewhere and I'll lease it for you. So that that got me um, a roof over my head again. Uh, it got it got me access to my kids kind of at my own place. Right. Um. So it was it was uh, a Aggression, if you will, uh, but it brought on its own problems in itself. And that now I had to see my kids leave, uh, and that was that was really hard. And that added a whole other ingredient to my thinking and into my life, um, which ultimately led me back home. Uh, and I ended up back home uh, a couple years ago. Uh, finally get back home with my family and uh i'm sure there's no easy answer but um is there anything that you can kind of point to that uh, got you started piecing back those relationships oh yeah um started realizing you know time 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 stops for no man uh seeing my kids every couple of weeks or even a month at a time yeah, I, I would quite literally see them grow um, before my eyes, and that that played really hard on me. Um, 
you know, having a, a marriage that I, I committed my life to, um, that was, I, I wasn't keen to see that come to an end, not like this. You know, um, there was opportunity for a second, second chance. And I took it and I'm still here for it. You're a good man. Oh. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I, I know I would, I don't know if I'm a good man, but like I'm here, I'm trying, you know, it's a work in progress. Uh, I'm not sitting here saying that it, it worked out. It's a hundred percent, man. This stuff takes work. That's what people need to realize. Yeah. That it's not, it's not what we see on social media. It's not that happy couple that goes traveling and, and this and that, man. It takes work. It takes a lot of work. So uh, we ask this question of everybody uh, at the end of every episode. Um, are you a member of the Royal Canadian Legion? <laughs> no, uh, um, I'm not. I'm not currently a member of the Royal Canadian uh, Legion. Why not? I do support the Royal Canadian Legion um, and its concept. Do I, uh, you know, the leadership and the decisions and everything like that, man? I don't know. That's that's beyond me, dude. Uh, the, Le the Legion. I've seen it help people, though. It's, you know. I'm not. I'm not diplomat, dude. No, I'm not. I've tried to help the Legion as well before. We we did your uh, support in there. You know, I'm I'm all about what the Legion has to offer, what its roots are. You know, um, what it was made for. I'm all about that. Sweet. I uh, when I we, when we first. Uh... When we first did this uh, this podcast, my answer was no, and I've become a member of the Legion since, and I totally agree with you. I think it really depends on the branch, really, right? Yeah, it's real branch depending for sure. I knew a sergeant at arms in uh, at, at one branch, and it was awesome. He'd do all kinds of stuff for us, and that's where we were able to do the peer support and stuff. But I've also um, had run-ins with some real crusty-ass, uh, you know, Legionnaires. Um, that like wow really <laughs> and you're you're civilian too at that like I, I didn't really understand that but again i get why civilians need to be in the legion uh do i like it no but i get it you gotta you, you gotta keep the thing going somehow right all right, everybody, that's the end of our show for today. Uh, we want to give a big thank you to Chris Dupie. And all the work that he does uh, through Cadence uh, Health and Wellness. Uh, these guys are a mental health service provider, and they're geared towards military members, veterans, police officers, firefighters, paramedics, and their families. Uh, they're also open to the civilian population, uh, and uh, they're not blinded to the fact that mental illness affects us all. So thanks so much for uh, for what you guys do. Uh, thanks for serving our veterans. And Chris, thanks for being on the show today, man. We really appreciate it. If you love the podcast, uh, don't forget to rate and review it on uh, iTunes or uh, wherever you get your podcast. You can visit us uh, at VeteranX on Facebook. Or online at Veteran.